0: morning everyone Um, today's reading is from hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 to 18 so if you are reading along in digital form or on paper hebrews 2 verses 10 to 18 in bringing many sons and daughters to glory it was fitting for god for whom for whom and through whom all everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, He, too, shared shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Rachel. Over the next uh, three weeks, which includes Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we're going to look at four victories of Easter. Uh, And this week... Uh, We're looking at the victory of atonement. Uh, Next week, we'll look at the victory of redemption. Then Good Friday, the victory of reconciliation. And Easter Sunday, believe it or not, the victory of life. Uh, So uh, I encourage you to, yeah, bring people along. I think there'll be opportunities for us to invite our friends. Uh, It might be some small congregation uh, times together, which is with school holidays and whatnot. But I think it'll be really encouraging. Now, this morning, the first thing I want to do, that however, is I want you to talk to each other. Ooh. Now, you don't have to if you'd like to sit there and just think about this question, but just for a couple of minutes, discuss what is it in your life that is crucial? In other words, what couldn't you live without? Do you, I want to put something to you that the word itself actually indicates what is crucial in our life. In fact, when considering all of history, when considering all of life, there is one thing that history points to and our language has created this word from this event that is crucial for our life. The crucifixion. That's where the word comes from. When people have created this word, it's crucial, it is pointing back ...to the cross saying it is as crucial as the crucifixion. And so this is why over these next four weeks as we lead into Easter... ...I want us to get just drilled down four times, that's all... ...into some of the most important achievements and victories of the cross. Because there is nothing in all of history... ...nothing in all of your life that is more crucial than the crucifixion. So I'm going to pray, and uh, and then we're going to have a closer look at this. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that we can come and consider your cross, the crucifixion, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us today to understand the atonement and what that means and why that's so crucial to our life. And so, Father God, we thank you for all the chatter. We thank you for these other wonderful things that we know that you provide us with uh, for our life, for sunshine, for wives, for husbands, for, for, for friendships and relationships and for water and food. But, Father God, help us now to see that it is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is so crucial uh, to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just define atonement for a minute. Atonement is simply means to right a wrong. It is to do something which is considered sufficient punishment and will appease or satisfy the person that you have wronged. Now, in 2016, Anwar uh, Ali, I'm not sure if you heard this story. He attended an Islamic mosque in Pakistan, and he was celebrating the Muhammad's birth. Now, um, the Imam of the mosque asked the gathering, "Who of you, who among you, is a follower of Muhammad?" And being Islamic, being Muslim, they all raised their hand. Then the Imam asked, "Who among you?" doesn't believe in the teachings of the Holy Prophet. Now Anwar Ali misheard the question and thought he had said, who does believe the teachings? He shot up his hand to the surprise of the 100 or so worshippers. He was interviewed on the BBC after this and he said, when I raised my hand unwittingly, I realised I had committed blasphemy and needed to atone for this. So he went home and chopped off his hand under a grass-cutting machine, then returned to the mosque and offered the severed hand to the imam. See, under the rules of Islam, the hand that commits blasphemy should be chopped off in order to atone for the sin that it had committed. See, to make atonement for a past sin or mistake means to do something which is considered punishment, which will appease the person you have wronged. In Islam to appease their false prophet Muhammad for blasphemy. Ali had to chop off the arm or the hand that unwittingly blasphemed. But in the biblical sense, as we open up God's own word, it also means to right the wrong, but it's talking about righting the wrong of our sin, which is the offences that we have committed against God, both the offences we have done Uh, Our sins of commission that we talk about, so the things that we have actively done against him. And the sins of omission, the things we haven't done, which we should have done, which we don't even at times think and realise that we haven't done. But how is this possible that we are to atone for all these things? Well, Romans 3 says this, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one, no one who seeks God. There is no one who understands, sorry, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become corrupt. See, this is the big tension in the Bible. There is no one who can stand before God and offer anything that is going to be worthy of atonement because the truth of sin goes far deeper. And if we are to keep doing this over and over, then in the end, we're going to have to continue to make this atonement on a daily, monthly, minute by minute basis as we constantly worry about the things that we have done. See, in Romans 3.23 later it says, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. See, put simply, and I've said this many times, it's like an archer. It just means that This arrow of righteousness that we're shooting at God's standard, which is his benchmark, which is perfection, always falls short. There's nothing we can do to reach that mark. And because of this, Romans 1 tells us our great problem, we often think our great problem is so many things to do with sin, but our great problem is God's wrath, his righteous punishment and anger towards us for that. At the core of everything that the cross achieves, the central problem that we have is God's wrath towards us because of our opposition, our sin to him. So atonement means to appease God's wrath. But in order to appease God's wrath with the atonement of our sin and to make us right again, what are we to do? See, we could we could blind our eyes when we have a moment of lust, or like that's uh, like that boy cut a hand off when we do something we shouldn't. Uh, we might uh, we might we might kill ourselves in the end, just you know, because that's the despair that we end up heading into. Because ultimately, and you can see there the self-flagellation of uh, the bottom. Right-hand corner there, that's actually um, people who self-flagellate with whips. That's blood on their backs, believing that they're atoning for the things that they've done wrong. But you see, this leads nowhere because we cannot fully atone. See, what if I die with some sin unatoned for? What if something happens in my last dying breath and I haven't had a chance? What if there are things I didn't even realise I'd committed? It's this great dilemma of all religions. In fact, all religions in some way are seeking to, to overcome their failings. But that's why they don't have great assurance. That's why the boy had to go home and cut off his hand simply because he had no assurance that God's love existed, that God was beyond us having to make things up like a scale for what we've done wrong. And it's the dilemma we see in Israel in the sacrificial system. See, the centre to the sacrificial system was the, the Day of Atonement every year. See, it was required constantly. In Leviticus chapter 16, we're given specifics, and I don't want to go through that passage now. But effectively we're told in verse 6 Aaron is to sacrifice a bull for the sin of all the priests. In verse 15 it says he is to slaughter a goat for the sin offering of the people. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was a gift of God to enable them to try to, 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 to make amends, to appease his wrath. They were exiled because it was never working. And then when they rebuilt the temple, God never came back to dwell in the temple. Even though the temple exists today, I've been there, I've seen it. God's presence never came back, we are told in Ezekiel. And so we have this issue of this separation from God, God's wrath over us, simply because we cannot atone for ourselves in the sacrificial system, the animal's blood was effectively a substitution for the people's blood. And then in Deuteronomy 16, uh, verses 10 and then 21 to 22, it talks about the scapegoat, and you would have heard about the scapegoat, and that's what those men are doing at the top there. They put, their, they, they, they put all the sins of the community upon the scapegoat and they send the goat out out of the community, outside of Israel. So effectively, the scapegoat takes the sin as a substitute for the people. But the substitute of an animal was never worthy. It didn't deal fully with the past, present, future of Israel. It was never designed by God to do that. Just as the law was always to point us to the sin that was within us, The sacrificial system was to point us to the true substitute that could take the sins and was worthy, not an animal, but the one who could take our sin once and for all. And that is the Lord Jesus. You see, for for someone to be able to take a sacrifice and be worthy on behalf of us And to have God's wrath pour upon him, he had to be without blemish, without sin. We're told that Jesus was without sin. He was God's son. He is God the son. In Hebrews 7.27 it says this. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. See, the crucifixion of Jesus hones us in to the most crucial part of what our faith achieves, the faith given us by God. It is the atonement. As Jesus hung on the cross, God's wrath was poured upon him as your substitute. We call it in theological terms penal substitutionary atonement. Penal, it is a declaration by law. Substitution, it is the worthy for the unworthy. And it is atonement because it was worthy to appease. It took and made the punishment just and righteous and it was worthy a punishment that you could not take yourself the things you could not make up for yourself and this is the great victory of the cross Jesus our worthy substitute his life for your life but not just the punishment but his righteousness given to you we call that imputation, not injection, imputation. You are clothed in his righteousness. His perfect life is clothed on you. So as God looks upon you, he doesn't see you for your sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. And so the wall of hostility between you and God has been broken. And we sort of see that the, turp, the, the curtain to the most holy of holies in the temple was torn in two. So access to God was now through faith, as it always was. But it was broken once and for all, because God's wrath had been satisfied. It had been appeased, a worthy punishment for the sin of you and the sin of me. There's a great hymn that uh, I used to love singing, Uh, When I became a Christian, I was in a Presbyterian church. It was rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. O be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Vile, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. And that is the heart of the victory of atonement. We are washed, we are cleansed. God's wrath is satisfied. We hide ourselves in him through faith. And now we can come openly and with great confidence to the Lord because we are now saved we ask god's wrath is satisfied